3: Today is Monday, June 24th, 2019. Coming up on Roland Martin, on filter. D.C. Metro officers caught on tape tasing a black man because he looked like he wanted to fight cops. Actually, what he was doing, he was really defending three juveniles who were being detained. Wait until we show you this video. Also, uh, South Bend Mayor, uh, President Trump candidate Pete Buttigieg takes heat at a town hall meeting because of police brutality after a black man was shot and killed by cops and the body cameras were not working. Clarence Thomas, the only African-American on the Supreme Court, literally thinks it's okay to remove black jurors. Really? Wait until you hear Sonia Sotomayor basically correcting him and jacking him up. So, mate, hey, thank God we have this sister on the court because Clarence Thomas has no idea what the hell he's doing. White supremacist responsible for the Charlottesville, Virginia attack killed Heather Heather Heyer. Y'all, he wants mercy. Seems prison is too tough for him. Get over it. Also, Congressman Jim Clyburn of South Carolina had his huge annual fish fry over the weekend. It was the hot ticket for 21 Democratic presidential candidates. We'll hear my interview with him on the Tom Jordan Morning Show and break down this week's debate with our radio talkers panel. Plus, Tyler Perry talks about owning your stuff at the BET Awards and also tributes to two African-American pioneers who passed away this weekend. It's time to bring the funk. I'm rolling Martin Filter. Let's go.
1: Whatever the miss, he's
4: it. Whatever
3: another video of white cops in an altercation with african-american men this time washington dc a black man approached police officers at a dc metro stop to find out why two black boys were being held. well this video folks uh, spread like wildfire all across the internet and social media this weekend it is a stunning video so we want to warn you in advance if you are triggered by any of these videos to simply turn away and so when we play this, you'll see what we talk about. I'm going to come back and talk about this with my radio talkers panel. So here is this video that has uh, gotten more than a million views all across social media. It took place this weekend in Washington, D.C. My name is you. You, mind if, I say, you
5: don't mind if I stay here with you for a little bit? Because I want to make sure that y'all is taking care of okay? I'm not putting you on camera at all. I'm not putting you on camera at all. I just want to make sure that y'all are right, all right? Because I see them looking at y'all, and what I'm not about to do is have none of y'all get hurt right here, all right? So my name is Shamir. We're going to stay right here, and we're going to make sure that everybody's taken care of, okay? What I don't want is one of these colonizers trying to get on y'all about some shit, because then I'm going to have to go off, and I ain't got my nails done, all right? So we're going to calm down real quick. All right, all right. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. Hold on. he's all right. Hey, 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 hey. Chill, 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 chill. Chill. Not necessary, not necessary. Just get down, just get down, just get down. Yo, not necessary. That is not necessary. Yo, that is not necessary. He's not even resistant. He's not even resistant. He's not even resistant. He is okay. Stop, yo, yo, I'm right here. Y'all need to stop. He's not even, stop, just lay down. Stop, babe, stop. Stop, stop, He's being tased. let him the fuck go. He's all right. He's down. He can't fucking move. He's down. Leave him alone. He is down.
6: He is down.
3: In a statement, the Metro Transit Police Department explained that the incident report says the stunning officer deployed the taser because the unidentified child advocate interfered with the investigation. And looked as if he was getting ready to fight the cop. Because of social media outrage, Metro, Metro Transit Police have opened an investigation. Now, I'm gonna do this here. I'm, so I'm gonna play the video again, because now you hear their explanation. I want Now, with that explanation being said, I now want you to see exactly what the brother was doing. Re rack it, press play. My name is You
5: mind if, I, mind if I stay here with you for a little bit? Because I want to make sure that y'all are taking care on camera, of, okay? On camera, on camera, on camera. I'm not putting you on camera at all. I'm not putting you on camera at all. I just want to make sure that y'all are alright. all right? Because I see them looking at y'all, and what I'm not about to do is have none of y'all get hurt right now, all right? So my name is Shamir. We're going to stay right here. And we're going to make sure that everybody's taken care of, okay? What I don't want is one of these colonizers trying to get on y'all about some shit, because then I'm going to have to go off. And I ain't got my nails done, all right? So we're going to calm down real quick. All right, all right. Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. Hold on. He's all right. Yeah.
3: Okay, now we're going to play that again for you because he, he this is what happens when cops lie, okay? You see the brother talking to, so there's a barrier. He's talking to the officer across the bench. All of a sudden, a very aggressive police officer, canine unit on his back, comes up to the brother. You can tell how he walks up to him in, in a very in a very aggressive stance. Okay, I want you to play the video. Turn the audio down. I'll talk over it. Okay? So go ahead and play the video. Pull audio down. Audio down. Now I want you I want you to go back to the beginning. I want you to go back to the beginning. Okay? Because see, this is what happens. Okay, read back the video and go back to the beginning. Go back further. Okay, here we go. Now you see the brother is standing there, he's talking. No issues there. All of a sudden, you go, by right now, I want you to pause it. You see, they're talking to the officer. The officer is checking on the young man. Press play, press play. You see that he passed the guy on his shoulder. They're talking. Everybody is calm. Nobody is nobody is yelling. Nobody is pushing. And he's sitting. Stop right here. Stop. Stop. So all of a sudden, you see this cop who walks up, who has not been a part of the conversation who's not been a part of the conversation, leave the video right there, not been a part of the conversation, he walks up and immediately puts his hand on his brother. Press play. Now you see him. He's now pushing the brother. The brother's pretty much like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you coming up to me? Shoves him in his chest twice. The brother pushes his arm away. Cop has his, uh, has his taser out. Now he's ready. Boom, he tases him. And the brothers taking the voltage uh, like that was like it was no big deal, and so he tased him again. Then the other officer comes from around the side, and they take him down. Folks, this is what happens when cops lie. The only reason we can say what happened because his sister. Was actually videotaping it, and so, and also, I keep telling you all the time. I would pre, again. I, I only, here's why I'm. I talk about the video. Why I want you to record the video horizontal. Because that way we can see the entire video, everything in the frame, and it fills the whole screen up. That's why, people, please don't shoot any of these videos vertical. Shoot all of them horizontal so we can see everything in the frame. But bottom line is we caught exactly what took place right there. Let's go to my Radio Talkers panel, all via Skype, Mildred Gaddis. She is the host of the Mildred Gaddis Show uh, out of Detroit. Also joining me is Mo Kelly, host of the Mo Kelly Show out of Los Angeles. And joining us a little bit later is going to be Karen Hunter, the host of the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Radio. She just got off of the air, so once she joins us, uh, we'll be ready to roll with her. Uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Mo. Looking at this video, these cops are lying. These cops are flat mm-hmm. out cops are flat out lying. That brother was not aggressive. It wasn't until this cop with the K9 unit vest on comes up, shoves him in his chest, he provoked the altercation. Everybody was calm. That officer did not deescalate. He escalated the whole situation.
7: Well, you you said a lot of what was obvious. There was not only a barrier in between the police officers and the gentleman who was talking, it was the third officer who started the physical altercation and that's the most important th- point because it's always the point of engagement in which things go awry there was a calm conversation and then the third officer felt it was it was his duty I guess to end the conversation and then escalated into a confrontation and then we saw what happened what bothers me the most is if not for the video we might have someone who was much more uh, um, hurt or harmed and, and black folks have been talking about this since the beginning of time. This is not new. The only thing new is our willingness to put it on tape and show all of America what we've been talking about for decades now, if not a century.
3: Mildred, these are lying cops. That's what we have here. And the folks with the Metro Transit should stop trying to defend the officer. Everything was fine until this cop comes, who don't have his name yet, he comes uh, into the frame immediately. And here's what's amazing, Mildred. He doesn't walk up to say... Hey, what's going on here? No, he literally walks up and immediately puts his hands on the brother, provo- provoking the altercation.
8: You know, when I saw this, I became, once again, I'm still reeling from what we saw out in Vegas last week. There seems to be, in all of these departments across the country, a group of white males who have this an hatred and disdain for black males. And given the opportunity, or given any opportunity, they will launch on on them. This is what we see here, uh, totally inappropriate. And because of these negotiations, these union negotiated deals with these particular entities that these men are policing, they're not ready to immediately move them. But there should be such a, a, a huge Outcry. and thank God for the woman who had the telephone, the sister who wasn't afraid, who was just not gonna stand there and let that happen without there, be, without there being video to show to the world and to give some comfort to this young man. These experiences for a young person, we know it for anyone, but especially for a young man, he will be carrying this with him uh, for the rest of his life. And it's totally unacceptable.
3: Uh, Mo, the brother, in this video, should file assault charges against that cop. because Absolutely. Because the officer literally walks... First of all, let, let's just go through here. The brother in the video, he was not being detained. He was not arrested. The officer immediately walks up to him and puts his hands on him. I don't care who you are. You, you, you as an officer, do not have the right to physically touch this man... When he has not committed a crime, he was simply communicating about these two juveniles. I'm telling you, I don't know who his brothers. I don't know his name, but he should he should file assault charges against the cop and dare the D.A. to uh, indict that cop. The biggest tell was the other two
7: officers who were not responding in an adversarial way. If they perceived him as a threat, they would have either asked him to back up, which they did not do, they would have extended their hands to tell him to move back, which they did not, or they would have engaged them on their own. There were two officers there. There was not a need for a third officer to intervene, if you will, and escalate the situation. And beyond that, yes, the officer, the third officer, was the one who started the physical confrontation. And if not for the camera, I can cannot say this enough, it might have gone to something which was fatal in nature. And I went to school in Washington, D.C. There's always a police presence in that metro area. It was not necessary, but we're always policed in a different way. They engage us in a different way. It's with hostility
3: and the assumption of criminality. This is why body cameras are critically important. Unfortunately, in South Bend, Indiana, we do not have the body camera video of a police officer who shot and killed a black man in that city last week. Uh, South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is running for the Democratic presidential nomination, uh, he has been dealing with this issue for an entire week. He held a town hall meeting on Sunday that turned into a shouting match.
7: Reorganize your department by Friday of next week. And based on data, get the racists off the streets. It's disrespectful that I wake up every day scared. It's disrespectful that I have three boys that I have to teach
9: today what to do.
7: Get them off the
9: streets. If anyone who is on patrol is shown to be a racist or to do something racist in a way that is substantiated, That is their last day on the street. I believe you have described a specific tool that can be used in order to identify indications of racism. It is not familiar to me, and so I thank you for bringing it up, and I will research it right away. How
7: are there all these loopholes, right, like, oh, it's it's at the officer's discretion if the cameras turn on, turn off, headlights got to be on, they have to flip the switch all this stuff, right? And then it's like, well, maybe they could, maybe maybe, maybe if it's bad enough, yeah, they could record, you know, record the situation. Why wasn't it already mandatory in the policy that you record every interaction with citizens? It makes no sense.
9: The policy was approved by the Board of Safety. I do not know who drafted it, but I believe that it was drawn from model policies from around the country. So it was
7: copy and paste, right?
9: Per the general order. My view is that under the current policy, when an officer on a call encounters a civilian, the camera should be activated. The effort to recruit more minority officers to the police department and the effort to introduce body cameras have not succeeded, and I accept responsibility for that. We have tried but not succeeded to increase diversity in the police department, and we need help.
3: Karen Hunter, um, you're joining us now. You just finished your radio show. Here you got a guy who's running for president of the United States. Uh, He stands up and he's talking about, oh, how, you know, the cameras didn't work and and how, you know, uh, we haven't had diversity. Here's the reality. 2014, just five years ago, there were 26 black officers uh, on the South Bend, Indiana, Police Department. That's about 10% out of 253 officers today five years later, just 13. That means 88% white officers, 5% black. I'm just trying to understand, how can judge wanna be president of the United States, wanna be the democratic nominee for president of the United States, and he can't even get black officers on a police force of 150,000 and don't even have body cameras at work?
6: Yeah. Uh, so it was troubling. Today on the show, I actually canceled Pete Buttigieg as being qualified to be president of these United States. Uh, South Bend is such a small city. And if he can't control such a small city, how can he control this nation? But there's a larger question. Why are we constantly having to ask people to do the right thing? Why are we constantly begging people to do what is right? And I feel like in many ways, you know, the power that we actually have, we're not exercising. I'm tired of us Looking at these stuff videos and I'm tired of us showing up to town halls and begging people to do the right thing when we have the power to make them. And I'm not saying, you know, uh, physically, I'm saying that we have the political might. So we
3: aren't doing that. Uh, I'm gonna go to Mildred Gaddis here. Mildred, Mildred, what is? Are you getting? Uh, yeah, you're breaking up there, Karen. You're breaking yeah, up. So my Skype sucks, right? Yeah, you're, you're breaking up there. So uh, Jackie, if y'all can Damn let it. me know, we can get yeah. that taken care of. Uh, I'm gonna go to Mildred Gaddis right now. Mildred, what is? What is? What is interesting here is Judge came off of the campaign trail to deal with the issues that were taking place in South Bend, but but the reality is, um, he's they failed. They failed in the city. You also are dealing with a city that has not resolved the issue of a black police op- black police chief uh, who was fired, he says, because he was confronting racism in the police department. Uh, all of these people, Hollywood, is just uh, falling head over heels for a Pete Buttigieg. You've got folks, uh, a lot of these folks who are supporting Obama, uh, who are trying to raise money for him. Uh, all, all of a sudden, now we are looking at a reality where... This could very well be an issue come in this week's debates. Uh, and he has to address this the shooting, of killing of a black man, but also how in the hell you don't have working body cameras in a city of just 253 police officers?
8: You know, uh, what I've noticed, Roland, and these police departments that already have the body cameras, police officers, for some reason, are being allowed to not turn them on or the department is choosing not to show what has been recorded. It makes absolutely no sense. The body cameras cost a lot of money, Uh, resources going to ensure that all officers have them, and for them to wear them and not turn them on, one has to ask the question, why are they not turning them on? But you know something, Roland? There's something going on in America. Uh, I wanna talk about what's going on with us. You know, we have these people elected to office. We have these people on city councils across this country, in state legislatures, and even in the, nation, in, in, in the U.S. Congress. And there has not been a voice, a criticism, as loud as it needs to be, about the murdering of these unarmed black men in this country and the abuse by police officers of other people, now men and women. Uh, What's going on? Why are we not hearing from all corners of this country, of our society, people who claim to represent us? And I know that everybody elected is not a leader. I think that's quite evident because we're sitting here talking. And I'm mentioning the fact that we're not hearing. We're not hearing from uh, these women's organizations, the men organizations, the elected officials, and even the pulpit. I think we have a responsibility to let folk know that they're out of order. And if they remain out of order, what the consequence is going to be? Also,
3: also, um, Mo, it was interesting. I want Mo, you and Karen to speak to this. Um, we saw massive, massive resistance during uh, the latter years of the Obama presidency as a result of Black Lives Matter. We saw folks taken to the streets. We saw protests all across the country. I haven't actually seen that level of taking to the streets since Trump was elected, am I wrong?
7: You're not wrong, but there's a, I think there's a problem with the methodology. And I think this younger generation, not to cast a aspersion, but to be honest, they missed some of the lessons of the civil rights era where it was not about just marching and, and demonstrations and sit-ins. There was a legislative agenda attached. And I don't want people to fall for the okey-doke in regard to Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. He was trying to talk about racism whether he could prove it was racism. And that's a false idea. That's a false choice. We don't need to prove racism. We just need to be focused on illegality. That was an unlawful, Police moment. And if we have the legislation which mandates for officers to always have their body cam on, at the minimum, the the, the the police department would be liable, or there is some sort of legislative remedy which is available after the fact. But the town halls, the demonstrations, well intentioned, and they get a lot of press coverage, they're not changing laws in the way that the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, and the Fair Housing Act did decades before
3: well first of all I'll push back a little bit there Karen there were that first of all there were a number of people who were involved in that when you look at uh, black uh, that
6: was uh, Mo not me
3: no 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 no, I, no 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 I know that was Mo but I'm going to you so I got it I got it you know, just just hold on uh, what I'm saying is I'm gonna push back against Mo on that but Karen what you addressed is we did we did see that we saw folks like Brittany Patnett and many others uh, New York Justice League and others targeting laws on the state as well as the congressional level. And so that did happen. Should, there should have been more, I, absolutely. But it did happen. But what's still interesting to me, Karen, is I have not seen the mass mobilization in the last two and a half years. Uh, I, I I don't know about you. When was the last time you saw Deray's blue vest uh, right. le- leading a protest? Hmm. When, when have well, you? DeRay's seen- moved on. Well, well, um, well. I'm, not, I'm just saying. It's just, but it's really, it's really interesting that that Trump's been in the White House and literally. What happened? Where did folks go?
6: I, I think there's two things. Fatigue is number one. But number two, there's a different there's a there's a tech space that we're not considering. And I'm, I'm not sure how effective all of that going to the streets even mattered. In Ferguson, for example, where people were in the streets rioting, what was the turnout, the voter turnout just after Mike Brown was was murdered? What was the turnout? 13, 16 percent? So what effectiveness, and I want to piggyback on the consequences uh, that was spoken about before Mo, and that was what I was saying before. There are no consequences to this behavior. Body cams aren't the answer. That's not going to change the ideology. That's not going to change the mentality. That's not going to change the hatred or the terrorism. We've seen people shot in the back on camera, and folks still didn't get convicted. Uh, There was a hung jury in that particular case. Slager later went on to get convicted. But we've been watching people be brutalized on camera since Rodney King. Cameras are not the answer. There's a humanity issue and there's a consequence issue because people get to kill us indiscriminately and beat us indiscriminately and nothing is getting done. There's no recourse.
3: Mildred, Mildred first of all, we have seen legislation, I, I and I'll push back on Karen on this. We have seen, like, for instance, I remember one of the bills by Congressman Bobby Scott. It was the protest in the streets where Democrats said, yo, Y'all might want to go along and, uh, and support this particular bill in terms of uh, uh, holding police accountable, in terms of even even counting uh, shootings uh, and fatal shootings dealing with police departments. It actually was passed, signed into law. But the, still, what is interesting to me is the the mass public pressure. Uh, Mildred, we, we've seen Hong Kong uh, where they had an extradition policy and they were going to implement two million people went to the streets mass mobilization and they pulled that back uh, and I and what happens with mobilization people see that they respond to it but you have of course a plan of action as Mo, to Mo's point earlier after the March I, I'm just wondering again where with this case here with Buddha judge and I'll go ahead and put it out there and I don't care okay where's Reverend L Sharpton okay? Where are folks, external folks, with large platforms going to South Bend and saying, we are here to to help you elevate this here? The video we showed at the top of the show, the brother uh, uh, here in D.C., where are national leaders? Uh, uh, I mean, we showed showed videos uh, last week, same thing. It's as if Trump gets elected and folks just all of a sudden said, okay, we're not going to do anything. Mildred and Mo.
8: You know what, you're you're absolutely right. And I wanna be very clear on that. Um, it was going into the street and marching and protesting that helped us accomplish our goals in the Civil Rights Movement. We were also very well equipped in terms of the strategy and what we were going to do after the march. I don't ever wanna give up that privilege. And I'll tell you something else. I wanna be, be I, I want us to have the video and not need it than to need the video and not have it. The visuals are very compelling, and we know that this thing is not going to be be, be, uh, accomplished overnight, but let's not... uh, I I disagree with Karen respectfully, let me say. Uh, The body cams are necessary, and they ought to be wearing them, and certainly they should be on. I think,
3: Mo, and I'll say this here, I think it's wrong for anybody to think that body cameras are the solution. They are a part of the solution mo go ahead you beat me there it's not an either
7: or proposition it's probably both and we need the legislative enforcement provision harking back to the voting rights act we need to make sure that we have the body cams because the video is compelling and i know that more people would be getting away with murder, not even uh, uh, Michael Slager, if we didn't have the video. It's not going to convict everyone, but if it convicts someone, then I'm all for it. And then after that, yes, we have to make sure we do actually vote, not only for policies and procedures, but for actual people. Going back to Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, I know black people are concerned because historically with the Democratic Party, people are chosen for us, but not necessarily by us. And Pete Buttigieg is the latest example. He's gonna go through hell in this debate because of African-Americans. And I think Pete has forgotten that the base of the Democratic Party in 2019 is black women, emphasis on black. So until Pete comes to terms with that and realizes that, and we hold him accountable for that, then Pete gets to gets away with this and saying these things at town halls, which are not indicative of the truth, and they are disrespectful
3: to us as a community. Let me. Let, I'm, I'm, you brought something up there, and I want to. I want I'm going to go to Karen, then Mildred, then come back uh, to Mo on this. I think we are making a mistake when we keep saying that the base of the Democratic Party is black women. Here's why. Okay, in Alabama, all the focus was on black women. About 94 percent of black men also voted for Doug Jones. The reality is, if you look at the numbers, black women voted the highest for Hillary Clinton. The second highest group that voted for Hillary Clinton was black men, and I think it's a mistake for candidates to ignore black men. I have, look, I've talked to people on the cam- on the campaigns of Booker, Harris, Warren, and Biden, and I said, y'all need to have a black man only town hall. I said, go to one of these cities and hit, he, because here's the deal. There was a nine point gap, Karen, between black men who voted for Obama and Romney. It was nine point gap between the, the percentage of black women who voted for Obama versus Romney and black men. Nine points less for uh, for black men in 2012. In 2016, it was um, even low, it was a, a wider gap than that something is happening here where black men are not seeing these issues the same way as black women i just think they're getting the mistake is that black men are still voting overwhelmingly democrat and it's wrong to leave them out of these conversations karen
6: you're spot on absolutely i think having a black men only town hall because the issues are different but let's not mistake it you know when we look at Stacey abrams and the work that she did with Higher Heights and other organizations to mobilize voter registration and it's usually black women leading that push right. and black and coming along behind them but no you're absolutely right we cannot ignore anybody in this election cycle and let me just be clear about this um, I, I wasn't discounting body cams but I don't think body cams are getting us you know any more justice than we've ever had I think we need to start looking at this thing differently and using tech more et cetera. but I think you're spot on with getting black men involved in the issues that are affecting them and, and they're different than the ones that are affecting black women. And I do think it's a mistake treating us like monoliths.
8: Muldred? Uh, first of all, I think one of the greatest untold stories in America has to do with how black women carried the Civil Rights Movement. The tremendous work they did. They didn't do it alone. Very true. They, and it's an untold story. Very true. And first, secondly, there really are more of us than there are of you all. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that's not to be negative, but the lesson here and I told my audience in Detroit, is that we need to look at what black women in Alabama and Georgia did. They delivered. They didn't deliver uh, at the expense of black men. They didn't deliver without black men. But they worked it and delivered in a way that we have not seen in a very, very long time. Right. All, all I'm
3: saying, though, is um, the, 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 the right.
8: mistake... The speaker, but but, but,
3: but, but here's, follow me here. And I and I've seen this with candidates. What I'm saying is this here, and I've said this to Tom Perez. Common sense says if there was a nine-point gap between black men and black women for Obama and Romney, and that was a larger gap between black men and black women uh, when it came to Hillary and Trump, I said, y'all got a black male problem. I said, now here's the deal. You can't afford if you're a Democrat, you can't afford for 80, 82% of black men supporting a Democratic candidate, you need that number to be like black women, 90, 92, 94%. Now, I don't know specifically why. Uh, what I, what I, what I, Now, I do believe that, and I don't know for a fact that there were black men who were like, I'm not going to vote for a woman. And brothers, just like some white men who I talked to in the campaign, need to get the hell over that, uh, somehow as, as if a woman can't be president. But what I'm saying, though, is is when you keep hearing it over and over and over again, Mo, black women, black women, black women, what I'm saying is there's a gap on this side, and you might want to pay attention to it because you can go hard for black women and get that number to be 94, 95, 96, but the black male number is 86, 84, 82, 80, that actually cancels out the increase, Mo, of black women.
7: I get the math and I can't necessarily disagree or dispute the math, but I would offer this. I think we get too bogged down in trying to relitigate 2016, what the Democrats should have done, could have done, might have done, or need to do differently in 2020. Let's not forget about this map as well. Donald Trump won by basically 80,000 votes across three or four states. If we rearrange that, we're not having any of these discussions, and the Democrat Party, Democratic Party is just going to uh, just move forward as it wanted to. So, but there, but it can't be denied that the energy is coming from specifically Black women. It's already been said. If we talk about what happened in Alabama. If we talked about what happened in Georgia, if we talk about Stacey Abrams, who was chosen to give the Democratic response to the State of the Union, it says to everyone, not even in this conversation, that the Democratic Party has chosen black women to lead us into the future. And I'm saying it's OK with me. And
3: I think the numbers long term will bear it out here. But here, uh, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, and uh, Henry, go, go to my iPad here. Exit polls here. of black women in Alabama voted for Doug Jones. Black women made up 17% of all voters. Black men made up 11% of all voters. 93% voted for Doug Jones. All I'm saying is, if you're trying to make an argument, you better focus on both and not leave out one because every vote is going to matter if they want to send Donald Trump packing uh, to Trump Tower Omar mar where in the hell he's going to go to. All right, let's go to our next story, folks. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas has always shown he really doesn't give a damn about black folks. Well, check this out. So last week, the Supreme Court handed down a decision uh, that struck down uh, a case out of Mississippi where a white DA consistently <laughs> used preemptory challenges to remove black jurors. Well, Clarence Thomas pretty much argued that It's okay to kick black people off of juries. Then the case was flower versus Mississippi and Curtis flowers was going to have to be tried again because the prosecutor again, kept excluding black jurors and he kept getting knocked down by the courts and he kept going back and doing it over and over and over again. Six previous trials. Okay. 41 out of the 42 black folks removed from the jury. Now, they were, they were the, the Supreme Court released the audio recording of the oral arguments. Clarence Thomas rarely ever asked questions. All of a sudden, he woke up and decided to ask a question, and it was Justice Sonia Sotomayor who basically had to smack him down with facts. Press play.
4: Uh, Ms. Johnson, did you, would you kind enough tell me whether or not you exercised any peremptories?
8: I was not the trial lawyer. Well,
4: did your word, any peremptories exercised by the defendant? They were. And what was the race of the jurors struck there?
8: She only exercised peremptories against white jurors. But I would add that her motivation is not the question here. The question is the motivation of Doug Evans.
5: She didn't have any black jurors to exercise peremptories against except the first except one. the first one but so did the prosecutor except that one correct after that every black juror that was available on the panel was struck
8: yes he struck one he seated one African-American juror and at the very end uh, struck one white juror when all of the evidence in this case is considered just as in Foster versus Chapman the conclusion that race was a substantial part of Evans' motivation is inescapable. And the Mississippi Supreme Court's conclusion to the contrary is clearly erroneous.
0: Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.
3: Mr. Gaines, you got to love that Clarence Thomas was like, well, did, did the DA, the, the defense, strike any black jurors? They were like, no, because the white prosecutor struck all the black people, so there was no black people left.
8: You know what? There's an old saying if, if, if there's no enemy within, the enemy without can do us no harm. Uh, Clarence Thomas has consistently demonstrated nothing but disdain and passionate disrespect for black people. It is a, you know, I don't think I need to say anything else. I know it's, it's an unfiltered show, but uh, it might not be very
3: nice. No, no, you can go ahead and say it was unfiltered. Mo Kelly, again. I mean, Clarence Thomas, Clarence Thomas his opinion pretty much was, yeah, go ahead, remove the black people. It's okay.
7: Clarence That's- Thomas has been if he's been anything, he's been consistent. He has always and consistently sided against African-Americans, and that's part of the reason why he's on the court. He was to replace Thurgood Marshall, but also be the antithetical to Thurgood Marshall. He only has something to say. He only has some legal um, opinion to offer when it has to do with black folks. And this is something we say we shouldn't relitigate 2016, but we have to reinforce what 2016 meant. A lot of folks had this false impression that there was just a choice of either Hillary or Donald Trump, and we got sucked into that as a community. So we Started voting for Jill Stein or Bernie Sanders, and losing sight of the fact that there were two Supreme Court justices at stake, hundreds, if not thousands, of federal judges at stake. And this is proof positive why we need to make sure that our community is educated to understand we're not just voting for a president in 2020. We're voting for people like Clarence Thomas, who may be there for the next 30, 40 years.
3: Karen, uh, yep. it, it wasn't. It wasn't a shock when I saw this decision, 7-2, that Clarence Thomas was one of the two?
6: Of course not. And I want to bang Mo's gong because that's what I was saying during 2016. Hillary Clinton could be a convicted convicted pedophile, not really, but I was going to vote for her because it was not about Hillary Clinton. It was about the courts. And next 2020 is about the courts. We're seeing it now with dismantling of Roe v. Wade. And they have a very strategic thing, which is what you're talking about, Roland, with even the men focusing on the men. A strategy. They start with the lower courts, right. they pack the upper courts, and it just keeps going. And if we're not sophisticated, look, I don't care who is the nominee, even if it's Pete Buttigieg, I'm voting for him in 2020 because it's that important.
3: All right, folks, hold tight one second. going to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk South Carolina fish fry uh, with Congressman Jim Clyburn. Of course, he entertained 21 other Democratic candidates that are getting ready for their big debate. The first one this week uh, in uh, Miami. And also, Another damn Democrat jumped in a race? We're now up to 25? Really? Jesus. we we'll be back. Roller Martin Unfiltered just a moment. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a bunch of money just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company. And, of course... Again, a lot of y'all sent me emails saying, how can I get involved? Well, guess what? Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not even better, than the last one. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is the cousin to marijuana with a much higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. The 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the United States and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, and this makes for an incredible investment opportunity, and that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed, high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in the crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks up to $10,000. Now, all you got to do is go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org to get in the game. You should do it now. Folks, over the weekend, all the Democratic candidates were in South Carolina, 21 of them, uh, basically bowing down to the only African-American on the Democratic side in the South Carolina, South Carolina delegation. Congressman Jim Clyburn, the highest-ranking African-American in the House Democratic Caucus. He held his world-famous fish fry in his hometown of Columbia, South Carolina, on Friday. Sorry, 19 to 21 candidates attended and spoke on stage. This morning of the Tom Jones Morning Show, I talked with Congressman Clyburn about the event. <laughs> so, Congressman, they, they, they were all there. Uh, anybody stand out? Anybody who, who really stood out this weekend?
4: I think Kamala Harris is, from what I heard uh, from reactors, people thought he did uh, very, very well. Um, I don't think anybody uh, did themselves uh, any real harm. Um, Jay Isley impressed a a lot of people. Uh, So I think that um, it was a very interesting weekend. Uh, People... We're very, were very
3: collegial to each other. Very, um, I was very impressed. Very impressed. Well, Congressman, you also, uh, you also did an interview last week where you said you were surprised uh, that Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Cory Booker are not doing better in South Carolina. Of course, they're lagging behind Vice President Joe Biden Senator Bernie Sanders. Do you think it's, they're the only they're two African-Americans in the race, including the brother out of Florida? But, but, but do you believe Mayor that it's, beca- it's because they are relatively new compared to those two in terms of name ID? Do you believe that they will actually increase their black support and overall support in your home state? Well, I think there's a little bit of it. Uh, also,
4: you know, I've always told people uh, African-American voters are pretty much faith voters. So much of what we do, our civil rights activities, came out of the church. Our political uh, activities came out of the church. In the early Congress people, black Congress people before I got elected, back in the uh, post-Reconstruction era, a lot of them were church leaders. One of them was even an AME bishop, Richard Crankane. So when you look at this, they tend to go with faith issues. I want to see your deeds. I need need not hear your words. And so I think that the deeds versus words, I think that means a whole lot uh, to African-American voters. I have been born and raised in apostates, so I know a little bit about that uh, thought process. And so I think that that's what they're up against.
3: Also, Congressman, uh, you were. All right, so uh, now, Senator Kamala Harris, she made quite an entrance to that fish fry. She, I guess she was trying to channel Beyonce at Homecoming, huh? Mildred, I'm disappointed that I' see Senator Comma Harris do an A.K.A. stroll.
8: <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it and I had I was ch- I was it was challenging trying to understand what Clyburn was saying. So what's your question to me? Uh, well, first, again,
3: I, I, I'm just joking there, of course, with uh, consider Kamala Harris and being an AKA. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that, that what Clyburn is saying is absolutely correct. Um, look, you're not going to get, and I'm going to go back. I said this at, by the third year of Obama. I said, if you're the next black person running for president, trust me, you're not going to get the same runway as Obama did. And I think that's what we're seeing with Senator Kamala Harris. And we're seeing that with Senator Cory Booker. I think black voters, Mildred, are extremely smart. And they're saying we want to see Trump gone. And we're going to support earlier right now the person who we think has the best shot to move Trump out.
8: I think you're absolutely right. But I think the Democratic Party has a greater issue here. And that is when you have 20 to 25 people talking about they're going to seek the 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 office of the, uh, the highest office of the land. it tells you something about the party. If the party was cohesive and strong as it should be, if it wants to defeat its opponent, you wouldn't have 25 people jumping in and weighing in. Uh, Some of this is sheer foolishness. I think we all know that, but I also think it's very damaging. What happens down the road, the closer we get to getting serious about this election, we should be getting serious about it now. But the Democrats
3: don't seem to be doing that. Uh, Mo Kelly, uh, 2004, there were two African-Americans who ran for president. One, uh, former Senator Kara mosley Braun. The other was Reverend Al Sharpton. I kept telling everybody then, trust me, mosley Braun and Sharpton are going to have no no role whatsoever in South Carolina. Folks were betting me, saying, oh, no, Sharpton is going to win South Carolina. I said, you have lost your mind. I think what we're seeing here, we're seeing black voters in South Carolina say this man is evil. We want him out. We like y'all. We think the two of you are not as strong compared to the resume of Vice President Joe Biden as well as Senator Bernie Sanders. And I think that's why you're seeing these early poll numbers where you don't see we're in South Carolina where nearly half of all voters are African American? They're not flocking to the two black uh, uh, major candidates. Of course, to have uh, Wayne Messam, uh, who's the mayor uh, out of Florida, who I, I, who has no impact on this race whatsoever. Sorry. Go ahead and look. He's my frat brother, but sorry, he ain't got no impact on it. Go right ahead, uh, Mo.
7: Well, there are a couple things. There's some competing interests here. I would say black folks generally, we have this ideological purity test. We want to make sure that they're black enough or blacker than thou. That's one thing. And we're also trying to compete with the idea. Let's not forget, it took black folks to warm up to Barack Obama. He gave the speech at the Democratic National Convention in 2004. People didn't even know about him really until 2008. And the question, prevailing question was, is he black enough? That I think is coming, uh, is part of this. And also, not everyone's running for president. Some of these folks are running so they can get a syndicated radio show like Herman Cain did or Mike Huckabee did. They're running hopefully to be considered for the VP portion of the ticket, or they're running for a cabinet position. They're running possibly for four years and eight years from now. And I believe half this field will be whittled away black folks and white folks, before we even get to Iowa. So to push back against Mildred just a little bit, I don't think it hurts the party. The natural course of things, it will work itself out. But as far as like Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, they have an uphill battle for for your point, what you said. They're not gonna be as quickly, we're not gonna be as quick to cling to them because they're black and we do want Trump out of office, but also we still have this issue of having this purity test to make sure that they are black first and will take care of us first before they take care of everyone else. And that's a push-pull and, it, and it's competing against each other, but it will work itself out in the way that it did with Obama.
3: Karen, for all the folks who say black people, black folks vote black, uh, no.
6: Well, so here's the thing. Comparing Kamala Harris and Cory Booker to Barack Obama is like comparing apples to pencils. Why? Barack Obama was special. Barack Obama was special. How? And yeah, because he's he was a special candidate. How? It was How? Because he was special. There's a magical thing about Barack Obama that neither one of those candidates have. And it's not something that's tangible. And if we're being honest to Mo's point, it wasn't until Barack Obama won Iowa that black people jumped on the bandwagon, including including some people that we know, famous Mm. civil rights leaders were on Hillary's ticket until Barack Obama won white people in Iowa. So yeah, they're they're a little bit different and, and that purity test should be for everybody, not just black candidates what are you going to do for black america right. what are you going to do for right. us but, should be the question for all of these candidates but black that, or white but
3: that's why i that's but, but i think black it is proving the point that black people uh, are like black people are very smart in making determination yes. as to who they're going to support. So for all the people who say, oh, uh, they vote because they were black, it's like, no, 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 no. Black folks make calculated decisions just like they did uh, in 1988, 84 and 88 when Reverend Jackson ran in 84, there were a lot of people who said, I'm sorry, Reverend, you can't win, we're supporting Mondale. In 1988, you can't win. We're supporting the caucus that existed. And I use a 2004 example as well. And so I think it's going to be, look, if you're if, if the reality is, if you're Senator Kamala Harris, you are Senator Cory booker, you desperately need a win in South Carolina and not second place. All right, folks, we're gonna go to uh, our next story uh, that uh, is uh, uh, quite interesting here, and that is in Charlottesville. Uh, remember the uh, the white supremacist who killed Heather Heyer, ran her over with the car, injured dozens of others? Well, James Alex Fields Jr., y'all, is begging the judge responsible for his sentencing to show him some mercy. Yes, this is real. His legal team believes that, believe that the 22-year-old should not spend the rest of his life in prison due to his age, his traumatic childhood, and his history of mental illness. Oh, the white privilege, Mo. Well,
7: look at it this way. He wants to have leniency and he wants to have his sentence shortened, but all he did was shorten the life of Heather Heyer. Uh, Let's not overthink this. Bye, Felicia. The sooner you're gone, the happier I'm going to be. And let's get it on. Let's get on with it. Because at this point, we have this fundamental, as a country, we want to allow grace for folks who are not like us. I'm tired of it, I'm sick of it. He committed murder, it was premeditated. Let him have life in prison
3: without parole. Ken, I just love these white boys who get in trouble and they go, Judge, they're so young. They have so many years ahead of them. I mean, the the the, uh, the, the swimmer in Stanford, uh, I think it was in Minnesota. Uh, where a young kid was raped and like, well, you know, this person, he's only 20 has a lot more years ahead of him. But if you could be 18, ah, guess what? Your ass committed a crime when you're a juvenile life.
6: Right. Well, we know that this is an unjust system. when We talk about the Scottsboro boys and, and a host of others. And then don't forget the kid that had affluenza who actually killed some people while behind the wheel of a car and claimed that his parents gave him too much privilege. And the judge said, oh, you know what? You're right. But this is the problem when we don't have people in juries and sitting on the bench who understand our plight, who understand who we are. And as far as this guy, I don't even know why we're having this conversation. I mean, Dylan Roof, it's one thing for the families to forgive him, but he was sentenced to death, which is what, you know, might be appropriate for that crime in Charlotte, Charleston, South Carolina. And Heather Heyer, every time you play that video, it just makes my heart sink to know that this guy has the audacity to open his mouth and ask for mercy when he had no, when he plowed into all of those human beings.
3: Mildred. He's just, he's having a tough time, Mildred.
8: Hang him up. Hang him up. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of serious about that. Um, there's only one one response to this. This individual was mentally fit enough to uh, decide, to pre- prematurely decide what he was going to do. He orchestrated it, he was very clear prior to that incident. Telling the world who he was and how much he hated people of color so there is no leniency we just need to watch what this judge does
3: bomb lines is here uh boy sit your ass in jail you'll be there for life i don't care what you got to say and you can get some mental help right there in prison going to a break when we come back we're going to talk tyler perry uh wins a major award the bet awards and I think the speech that he gave was going to go right alongside the one that Prince gave in 2000, the Soul Train Awards, where he said it's about owning and not being owned. That's next. All right, folks, HBCU Giving Day. Our university today is University of Maryland Eastern Shore, founded in 1886, located in Princess Anne, Maryland. Notable graduates include Art Shell, my alpha brother; saxophonist Clarence Clemens; Earl Christie; Clifford Brown, and many more. If you want to support the university uh, financially, go to umes.edu. Graphic black up, please. umes.edu to support University of Maryland Eastern Shore, one of our HBCUs. They also have the only HBCU with a PGA school there, and so um, so we're supposed to have the website up there. So I don't know what happened to it. But again, UM e s dot e d u. All right, folks. Last night, BT Awards uh, the longest damn awards. I think it was longer than the Oscars. Okay, I swear it felt like it was nine hours. Uh, and one of the last awards they gave uh, was to Tyler Perry, uh, and it was the Icon Award. And I can tell you, he did not disappoint in the speech that he gave, which was so on point. I said, we've got to talk about it right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Go.
2: When I built my studio, I built it in a neighborhood that is one of the poorest black neighborhoods in Atlanta so the young black kids could see that a black man did that and they can do it too. I was trying to help somebody cross. The studio was once a Confederate army base and I want you to hear this, which meant that there was Confederate soldiers on that base plotting and planning on how to keep 3.9 million Negroes enslaved. Now that land is owned by one Negro. It's all about trying to help somebody cross while everybody was fighting for a seat at the table, talking about Oscar So White, Oscar So White, I said, y'all go ahead and do that. But while you fighting for a seat at the table, I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. Because, because what I know for sure is that if I could just build this table, God would prepare it for me in the presence of my enemies. Rather than being an icon, I want to be an inspiration. So. Thank you, BET, my new family. Thank you, everybody. I want you to hear this. Every dreamer in this room, there are people whose lives are tied into your dream. Own your stuff. Own your business. Own your way. God bless you. Thank you, BET. Thank you, Scott. I love you guys.
3: Thank you. Uh, Karen, last year I had Tyler Perry speak at the National Association of Black Journalists Commission in Detroit, and I wanted him uh, to emphasize that. But also I wanted him to emphasize that his empire was built by black people. That by serving your black audience, you don't have to cross over. Now, I'm not denigrating those who cross over, but I do believe what happens is uh, we have taken, first of all, all, all result of white supremacy. We have taken on this whole idea that we need to cross over. We need to have this sort of uh, white base uh, of fans as well in order for us to be able to get the things that we want in life. This is the second studio that Tyler Perry has built. He's got his private jet. He's got his magnets. He's got his millions. It is because he respected and served black people.
6: Yes. Listen, you've done it. You're doing it. I'm doing it. And if we're being honest, every major white institution builds off of the backs of us, whether we're talking about Fox network or others, the music industry, they all build off of our energy that we end up getting pennies on a dollar for the thing that we built. So, you know, what he said, I wonder how many people jumping up and applauding are actually putting it into practice, building their runways, building their own tables in their own houses. It's a quote that I use all the time. I'm not fighting over crumbs. I'm a baker. I'm not fighting for a seat at your table I'm a maker and at the end of the day everybody who's listening right now has the ability to create the future that they want to see. Tyler Perry is the blueprint. Roland Martin is doing it. I'm doing it. Are you willing to do it or are you too afraid and not really confident in your abilities to actually create something from nothing Mildred not we do
3: Mildred not just do it but are you willing to support it because and he, I mean because here's the deal. And uh, so when TV one canceled my show, December of 2017, uh, one of the first things that we did was something called the state of our union. It was an idea that I conceived. I said, look, let's actually do our own discussion on the state of our union to counter Trump's speech. That was a result of Congresswoman Maxine Waters, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson and others saying they were going to skip his state of the union. I came up with that at the NAACP Image Awards, NAACP joined me, Congressman Benny Thompson said, great idea, Try to get the CBC involved, but they went ahead and attended the speech, it's another story. But here's what happened, and I've said this, I said it at NABJ, I'm not quite sure if I actually said it on this show. Uh, We were uh, one hour, Mildred, we were one hour away from going live. I had just finished getting uh, out of the makeup chair. My cell phone rings. I answer my cell phone. And the other end was Tyler Perry. And Tyler says, man, I'm watching you on YouTube right now. I'm watching some videos. Bruh, you, you're our voice. He said, please tell me you're working on something. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, Tyler, I am. I proceeded to tell him what I was working on. That is this show, Roland Martin Unfiltered. He said, I love the fact that you're doing Independent. And so ever since then, we've struck a friendship, we talk all the time, we text all the time, we're looking at how we can work together. But what I keep saying to black people, Mildred, is you can't just say, hey Roland, we praying for you. No, you also got to support financially because if you don't, if you don't, if you didn't buy Tyler's tickets to his plays and to his movies, he couldn't build a studio. And so we also have to say, wait a minute, how am I supporting the folks who also doing what we say we want to be done.
8: You're absolutely right, Roland. And there is no true freedom without independence. You can't be free working in somebody else's shop. Now, you can be gathering your resources uh, to build while you're working in, in in somebody else's shop, but there is no true freedom. And we need to understand that when we have our people owning businesses, it is those businesses that are hiring, hiring, uh, our heads of households, which make our family stronger and our community strong. You have to put your money where your mouth is. That's essential.
3: Uh, Mo. but here's the other thing when we talk about also owning, and that is, and also then supporting. That is a direct result of building scale. And so what I mean by that, okay, Tyler could not build one studio and then build a second massive studio If he did not achieve scale, you achieve scale by being able uh, to have the resources to build your platform, to market and also grow it. Look, I know exactly what, what my vision is for this. My vision is not for this to be me as the only person hosting the show. No, my vision is to actually build a black digital content network. But that's scale. That's actually having other people doing multiple shows, which also requires resources. And I keep using this phrase, Mo, we have to fund our freedom. It's not enough to sit here right now and watch us on Periscope and watch us on Facebook and watch us on YouTube and then say, oh, well, somebody else send them five bucks or 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks. No, we have to fund our freedom.
7: Well, let me put it this way. As someone who's on a predominantly white station, it happens to be the number one news talk station in America, but it's a predominantly white audience, and this speaks to me. Yes, we need to support each other, but we all have our different roles to play in that process. I'm a firm believer there needs to be someone in every room to open a door for everyone else and usher others into that room. But also, black folks got to remember folks like me, we're not a sellout because we're on a predominantly white radio station or white network. We're making sure we can bring some other folks with us and maybe take over i think we can it's once again it's a both and situation we should have our own and take over theirs and make sure that there's a place for all of us to be along the way because we all have a role to play but we have to make sure that we don't only support the roland martins of the world but we also have to support the mo kellys because we believe in the same thing and we're working to the same end and sometimes i think or many times we lose sight of that we're not each other's enemy
3: well absolutely look here when i was on cnn i had my own company uh, and I was on Tom Jones morning show, which was, which was black owned. I was doing TV one, which was black owned. And I was doing both. But the key is, and this was the key, when I was at CNN, I did not think that CNN was better than TV one. I told them on election night 2008, I had to step off the set to do two or three hits on TV one. They were like, well, why? I said, because they paid me before y'all did. And I'm not going to dismiss them because i'm on your air and so to to mo's point we need folks in all places but the other piece is we have to be able to have places where we absolutely are controlling our destiny and we're not asking somebody else's permission can i please go cover this black event or this black story
6: right or even have to explain why right right and the Ice water is colder. It's. It's. I think that's over. I think we're in a generation, this generation is really understanding their value and their worth and we're seeing it play out, whether we're looking at new billionaires being made like Jay-Z or we're looking at the landscape of you know, folks like Chance the Rapper and Lil Nas X and others who are finding their capital and creating their own lanes. I think we're in a very special time right now. What Tyler Perry spoke to is an awakening that I think is reverberating throughout the country, throughout the world because this is a global movement and I'm I'm just happy to be a part of it. And I'm glad that I'm watching this happen. I'm glad I'm alive for it.
3: And again, uh, you go back to the speech that Prince gave in 2000 when he was recognized for artists of the decade. He essentially said the same thing when he said to own your masters. He said, look at these contracts you're signing and understand you're working for them. You should be working for yourself. And so we appreciate what Tyler Perry is doing. Uh, and to all the folks out there, again, if you want to support what we're doing, support us at unfiltered.com. Become a member of our fan club. Uh, again, you can give via Cash App, PayPal, uh, Square. It doesn't matter. Some people are giving to us monthly. Some people are giving who are tithing monthly. Some people are giving to us once uh, one payment doesn't matter we need your support because again we want to be in a situation to be able to have much diverse conversations uh i'm gonna end this way with each one of you before i go to memoriam uh final thought whatever your final thought is go mo
7: i think this is a good beginning i was warned. My heart was warmed by what I heard from Tyler Perry, but it's a starting point. It was a great moment, but I hope we generate some momentum from that. People can't only hear it, but they have to act upon it and not wait for the next moment to come along. We need that, uh, need that momentum so we can turn it into a movement.
3: Final, final point on any topic. Mildred, whatever you want to say, go.
8: I just want to say that despite all the challenges we're facing in this country, this is a great moment for us all to be in. And uh, it's incumbent upon all of us to seize the moment. There's a lot of work to be done, and each of us needs to stick up our buckets where we are and address that particular issue and never, ever be satisfied. And I hope you don't mind me asking uh, the viewers to join me and uh, follow me on Facebook at the Mildred Dame Show. Thank you.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Karen.
6: I just want to say thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for uh, having this platform. And I want to also say we are our brother's keepers. We're our brothers and sisters keepers. And let's be mindful that we're stronger together. There are 300 million people in America, but globally we're 2 billion strong. We're the global majority. We're not minorities. We're not less than, we're not minor, we're greater than. And in in many ways we need to understand that to to become the greatness that we need to see ourselves in. Uh,
3: First of all, Mo, when can people hear you on the radio?
7: Sure, you can find me at KFIAM640.com or MrMoKelly.com. My show, The Mo Kelly Show, is from 6 to 8 Saturdays and Sundays, West Coast time. And you can always hit me up on Twitter and Facebook at Kelly. Mildred.
8: Sunday mornings, KISS FM 105.9, Detroit, WDMK.
3: All right then. And Karen.
8: SiriusXM XM Urban View 6
6: to 8. Excuse me, what am I doing? <laughs> three to six, p.m. <laughs> three to six, three to six every Monday through Friday on channel one twenty six, which actually is the best.
3: OK, then your Skype froze. You said actually is the best. Then froze. All right. Mildred, Karen, Moe, I appreciate all of you joining us for Radio's Talkers uh, panel uh, on this Monday. Thank you so very much. Folks, before we go, uh, a couple of folks uh, we have lost, and that is one of the last original members of the Tuskegee Airmen has died at the age of 99. Pilot Robert Friend flew 142 combat missions in World War II as part of the elite group of fighter pilots trained at Alabama's Tuskegee Institute. The program was created after the the NAACP began challenging policies barring black people from flying military aircraft. He served for 28 years and retired as a lieutenant colonel to run his own aerospace company. His contributions to our history are greatly appreciated. We send our condolences to his family and all who loved him. Also, folks, New Orleans music and rock and roll pioneer Dave Bartholomew also passed away this weekend. He was 100 years old. Bartholomew discovered Fats Domino and is the man credited for helping to shape the sound and direction of both rhythm and blues and rock and roll, while indirectly helping shape, uh, much later, rap. He, along with Fats Domino, wrote classics like Ain't That a Shame, I'm Walking, and Let the Four Winds Blow. He's a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Bartholomew's legacy will continue to live on through his music. And also, folks, I want to pull up uh, uh my man here. So, we also lost uh, a journalist on. Friday out of Houston, uh, Max Edison, uh, he worked for the Houston Defender, a uh, longtime radio talk show host uh, in Houston. He passed away on Friday uh, at the age of uh, 63. Friday also happened to be uh, his birthday. Uh, and uh, many of us, of course, uh, were shocked uh, by the loss of Max. He had a heart condition. Uh, this here uh, is uh, his Twitter feed. And this was a photo of Uh, that he had posted, uh, folks, uh, just this month, a few days ago. This is him with his son uh, at a Houston Astros baseball game. And he posted this on June 16th. Uh, just eight days ago, uh, Max was a great journalist. Uh, he was uh, a great guy. I used to be the managing editor of the Houston Defender, uh, and Max always listened to us on the Tom jordan Morning Show. Uh, when, of course, uh, we would uh, we would finish. Uh, the, uh, I, I would get done with my segment. I would often have a text message uh, from uh, Max uh, waiting for me. Uh, he would uh, watch the show uh, all the time. Uh, and, again, uh, certainly sad to see the loss of Max uh, Edison. Uh, this here is a graphic that put together by the uh, Houston Defender. Uh, Max Edison, he was the Defender College and Pro Sports Editor. Uh, And again, born June 21st, 1956, and he died June 21st, 2019 uh, at the age of 63. And again, he turned 63 on Friday, the same day he passed away. And so certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Max Edison. All right, folks. Uh, again, uh, our show is done for today. We want you to join our Bring the Funk Fan Club. This is your way of supporting Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, one of the things that you get by being a member of the fan club: discounts, of course, to products that we have on RolandSMartin.com, including books and other things along those lines. Uh, what you can do is go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com to join the fan club. If you've already joined and you have not gotten your discount code, send us an email, and we'll be sure uh, to get it to you. And again, you could join via by paying cash app by paying. Uh, Square by being able to pay paypal as well and again every dollar you have that you uh, contribute goes to support this show and our broadcast as we travel all around the country uh, we've got some great things happening in the month of july we'll be attending uh, the uh, essence festival also the naacp convention national urban league as well in august national association of black journalists and so we've got an absolutely packed schedule uh, folks, And we want you to make it possible. Our goal is to get 1,000 uh, new fan club members by the uh, end of June. Uh, so we have just a few days left. And so we want you guys uh, to join right now. And go to uh and sign up today. Because, hey, look, you heard what Tyler Perry had to say. If you can't own it, if your folks also don't support it, which means we've got to fund our freedom. This is about us. This is about not asking somebody else, can we please go cover this? Can we do this? No, this is about us controlling our destiny and also employing African-Americans and giving them a shot in the media field. All right, folks, I shall see you guys tomorrow. Holla!